Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Product Led Podcast. Today, we have a very awesome episode, especially if you're into onboarding. So today, we're going to be talking about how Miro builds a personalized onboarding experience at scale. And so I have here Vicky, who was the growth PM at Miro for over five years, where she has done a, I think it was over 200 plus experiments at Miro and has seen the inside workings of one of the best product-led experiences out there. Whenever we ask our product-led accelerator, the students are like, what is the best product-led company out there? They're like, Miro, Miro. (laughs) It keeps coming up. So they're clearly doing something right, especially when it's onboarding. And I know this as well from teaching, utilizing Miro. It's super easy to share. This sounds like a paid plug for Miro, but it's not. So Vicky, welcome to the Product-Led Podcast. It's awesome to have you here. Thank you, Wes. Hi, everybody. I'm Vicky. Again, like I've been working in Miro for a long time and uh, I joined it when it was a small startup. My main focuses were onboarding. Yeah, I think that was definitely the main one, sharing as well as like templates experience. And today we'll tell you a lot about all these experiments, all great learnings and a lot of like fails as well. I think it's impossible to run experiments and uh, grow your product without them. And uh, try to share as much value as you can. Awesome. So like, what is your definition of like good onboarding? Yeah, great question, Wes. I guess that the majority of the people understand onboarding as the like what is happening on the first session, the kind of yeah. like education you're sharing with users. I personally think that the great onboarding starts when the person just start thinking about solution to mm-hmm. their problem. And it ends when the users start paying just because customer onboarding starts happening. And you have to take into account this full journey. And also the main goal of the good onboarding experience is to help the user to be successful with the product and also like achieve the goal that user wanted to achieve with the product. So yeah, I'll definitely tell about that. Totally. And I love that definition too, where it's like, yeah, it's just about like making the user successful at its core. Now, given how easy the definition is, as far as that goes, why is it so hard for so many companies to really operationalize this, make it happen? Because like, I always see companies as like, okay, why do companies exist? They exist to help people, they exist to serve uh, and make users successful and it's product-led error. So like, why is it very difficult for companies to like get this stuff right? Good question. Again, I think that there are several reasons for that. Uh, the first one is more that companies have too many opportunities and too many like content examples that they could onboard users with. And you really need to provide a lot of like different content that could feed the users like mental models. And that's one thing. Another one is more about that. I think that a lot of companies are more focused on the revenue and their metrics and sometimes like forgetting about like what user wants. Mm -hmm. And here coming the third point, that's not enough investment into user research. You have to like run usability tests on a regular basis, understand like what is happening with users. And in the perfect way, you also have to check your onboarding experience by yourself. I personally did it like at least once a week in Mirror. And that's why, again, like I have these 250 or even more accounts <laughs> in Mirror. Yes. Uh, and uh, that helped me a lot because every time, because we have a lot of different onboarding flows, every time I was registering, every time I found something that is not working correctly and I shared it with the team and we're trying to fix it as soon as possible. 
Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that's several main reasons, I guess. Totally. I 100% agree. I think like there's a lot of like different pieces of it where it's like, yeah, people don't understand the user and that's big. I think also like not having clarity on what kind of users do you serve best to as a business? Because if you're marketing like, hey, we're the everything solution for everyone. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but my specific use case. And that's really hard. So given that Miro is... I would call it a horizontal application where like anyone can kind of get like different value from it, regardless if you're like a consultant or uh, you're like a data analyst, you can find like unique value in this platform. So how do you like think about is horizontal kind of like onboarding a bit different than like, let's say like a vertical one? What are some of the biggest differences for you? I think that uh, when you have a lot of like different users and use cases mm -hmm. and uh, it's just could be super complicated to create something basic for everybody. So the personalization definitely is a key. For a successful onboarding case, it is your situation. Just because like personalization helps you to like getting all this information about user, like what roles they have, what tasks, use cases they want to achieve with the product and what level of experience they have in the product. All this could help you to win this game and onboard the user and have, help the user to be super successful with the product. In my experience, we've started to invest into personalization about like two or three years ago, something like that. And I think that uh, in any kind of the company that has templates, templates is a key for this kind of personalization because you could help users not to start from scratch, but also try to help them to find the solution, a kind of like draft solution for their current problem that they are looking for to solve. Okay. So I know we have like eight principles of like onboarding you wanted to, to go through and we can dig into in a bit, but I just wanted to hear like from the very early days at Miro when you started working there, like what were some of the biggest problems specifically around onboarding that like kept you and your team up at night? You're like, I just don't know how we're ever going to possibly solve this. What were some of those big ones? Mm, you ask a really complicated question just because it was about <laughs> six years ago. Sometimes and that means trying... it's not a good question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. And I'm just trying to dive into my memory and I think when I joined, just joined, we didn't have a lot of content in the Learn Center about use cases, about specific tasks. And uh, I personally was like recording a lot of like GIFs and videos by myself uh, in order to make it useful for users so they could have this long-term education. And uh, one of the biggest challenges was also like we didn't have templates at the beginning of onboarding. So a lot of users did jump on the board or they could choose any use case and have like pre-made stuff on the board or something like that. And uh, like after we added like templates and users, and we also like tried to personalize it a little bit. And that's something that changed the game a lot and help us to like improve our onboarding experience as well as like my metrics. I guess it was super easy solution when I'm looking at that like right now, but yeah. six years ago, that wasn't so obvious. Totally. And like, I could just imagine like in your shoes, trying to fix the onboarding. It's like, okay, yeah, like we can get people to use the product easier in a way. But like, there's so many things where it's like use cases, like, what's your problem? What are you trying to do? Like, you, <laughs> you could do a million things in, in Miro. So how did you 
try and think about that from like, was it just like, okay, here's our number one use case. Let's like make this easier. And then like, what's the second most likely use case? Okay, let's do that. Or was there more of like a process to it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. So like previously, we had this list of six main use cases. After that, I just realized that use cases could be a little bit complicated for the users. That's the insight that I got from one of my consultant projects that like use cases, like what is that for end users? Uh, They are much more familiar with like goals to have with this product or a specific task. It could be even small. So use case sounds really unfamiliar. So what we were trying to do is to a little bit limit the user task and try to fit it with the template, just because templates is something that is more familiar. So it's about the specific task. So like we try to like create this bunch of the use cases. Mm -hmm. So you have like six use cases and each of the use case in templates gallery, you have a lot of like templates that could solve your specific problem. So that was the way that we are trying to limit what we are thinking about use cases to make it super easy to think about for users and uh, to help them to choose what they want to start from and to match their goal with a template. Okay. Yeah, no, I like that reframe of like looking at it from not just like use cases because like I read use cases and like, hmm. Yes, <laughs> what is exactly. that? But like when you ask me what's my goal, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing this. And uh, oh, okay, that kind of fits within that context. So I think it's really simple. Like just the language yeah. you use on some of those things does matter. I'm curious, how did you identify the first six use cases or goals? Like what kind of went into that? Obviously, I imagine there's some level of like user research, but then... I wonder too, if there was like, just like, mm, I got a gut feeling people are doing this in the product. I'm curious, how did that come about? Like the first six use cases? Yeah, as far as I remember, they were already when I joined Mirror. In terms of like how we've been working with them uh, through the whole journey, it was like we were running a lot of research with the users, trying to understand what are the main like things they're using, like tasks mm-hmm. and roles, trying to fuse like feed together tasks and roles and also like try to unite these tasks and to see like what are the big benches of work or like use cases usually users have. And the personal thing that use cases are more something for enterprise stuff because like for self-serve, you should be like be more simple for sure, like when you're selling for a B2B and the team size is like from 10 and bigger and bigger, use cases could also help. Mm-hmm. But when the end user registering the product, for sure, like you first need to understand the specific task and like template users using like features. And after that, like trying to identify the main patterns, you'll start like understanding what are the use cases, what roles, like familiar with which kind of use cases. So that was kind of like bottom up approach, I guess. But again, like I couldn't share a lot about that just because this research was done before I joined Mirror. Okay. And then I guess, how do you like decide what are the next kind of like use cases that you would build out? I think about uh, when talking about use cases, again, like the users has changed a lot. Uh, Again, after like COVID started, uh, there were a lot of people like not tech savvy and like previously it was more about product development. Mm -hmm. But after that, we started to see that there were more like common stuff, such as like brainstorming and ideation, more happening there. I don't think that use cases has changed 
automatically for that, but they just starting like to be more suitable for the remote work. For example, one of the right. use cases we've added was about like workshops and meetings, just because like after people start registering Mira and using it for remote work, uh, we've seen that there were a lot of like meetings happening in Mira as well as like online workshops that were previously not on the remote and they were on the offline stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, the main change, I guess, into use cases during these times. Okay. And like, what are, let's dig into some of those like big principles around onboarding and like what you recommend to really create that personalized onboarding experience. So, like, what's the first like big principle you'd recommend companies like take away? Yeah, cool. I I guess that's what I would start from is more about personalization. For sure, there are a lot of products that have like specific user persona and they are not like horizontal. But I still recommend to think about personalization into onboarding just because your users could be like have different tech heaviness. They could have like still different goals because a lot of products have like different features and different approach that you could like solve your problems with. So I would start from that. And the second one that I think that they are like two the most uh, interesting and the most like important uh, principles of the onboarding is to think about onboarding as a long-time journey. Definitely not about something that is happening on the first session. Uh, For sure, like first session is like your first impression and that matters a lot. But if the users like stay with your product forever, that is also something that is important and that is not happening only about like first session. It, it depends on like what kind of education you provide them with on the long time journey. If you help them to unlock new use cases and new tasks and get value out of your product, that's also super important stuff. So I would take like personalization, but at the same time, long time journey mm-hmm. as the main ones. Another ones, <laughs> I think that's all of them are super important just because a lot of like companies and people could skip any of them. That's the reason why <laughs> onboarding doesn't work. So it's also about different content types for different people. So you need to take into account that, for example, there's one person and he's like, he likes to watch videos when learning about new product. And he also has just one minute to watch this video and to learn about the product. There are also a lot of people who are familiar with tutorials or they want to figure out it by themselves. And maybe they also have a different time period to learn it. So you perfectly, you need to fit your onboarding experience to all these different personas and to provide them with different types of education based on their mental models. So yeah, I think that's, these are the main ones. <laughs> so for four, like, how would you kind of map that out in the onboarding experience for someone who's like, okay, that sounds good. But like, how do you actually do that? Is it like, okay, as part of the onboarding, it shows, here's a video of like how to do something. And then it's like, oh, you could also just click through it and see it. Or give me an example to tie it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. I think that there are two options. So you could check like what works best for users in case you don't have ability to maintain all the sources or something like that. You could just check using like A-B tests and other stuff what works best. The better approach is to provide the user with a choice how they want to learn your product. If they want to like watch video again, learn about your product by themselves, or maybe they want just to like have any kind of tutorial, 
Another thing, so that is happening on the first session, for example, how you could approach it on the next stages. So for example, in Mira and in a couple of other products, so we also like created these guides or learn center where you could also like find different kinds of information. It could be again, like videos. It could be like some GIFs. We also tested some like frameworks, step-by-step frameworks and also like other stuff. So I think that's also one of the approaches that you could use in order to try different content types. And uh, it's also a good way to explain the user how much time you need for that and that. So user, again, could have this choice and choose, like, based on how much time the user has, choose a better approach. Awesome. And what are some of the other kind of like principles you've outlined to really nail onboarding? Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite for sure. Like the biggest one at the most like important, but one of my favorite is also like keeping the balance for triggers to pay because like <laughs> that could also become the problem and that could interrupt users from getting the value out of your product and also create a kind of like bad experience for them when they disturb that, they don't like that, then they just close your product and never come back. So it's also like a good thing when you're launching any triggers or any like changes into pricing model or any stuff like that, you need to take into account a kind of like protective metrics, such as like activation and retention, at least like short time retention and see how they are being affected by all these experiments in the learn time period, just because like adding more triggers, like changing the pricing model, that is something that could help us to get more money into short periods. But in order to grow in the learn time period, we definitely need to take into account like retention and activation when launching any mm-hmm. triggers or like changes into pricing model. Yeah. Like- uh, how do you balance that for the triggers to pay? Because I know there's like a lot of questions, especially in our community too, where it's like, hey, like what should I give away for free? What should I gate? And curious how you think about that. Yeah. So like I was creating the first triggers debate in Mirror. And uh, me and my designer, we just been trying to understand how we could add these triggers, but at the same time, not to disturb user from getting the first value. So we were taking into account what are the most like popular user journey and how we could not like interrupt users on this journey, but uh, be sure that first they get value. And after that, they when they want to get more and more value, that the time when they could see these triggers. So that was the main point. After that, we've been collaborating with monetization team. So as soon as it was like responsible for onboarding and activation, we've been collaborating with monetization team and trying to understand like what is this balance we need to keep in order to like, again, like provide users with value, but also like ask to pay in the right time, not to mm-hmm. lose this moment and like give them free products forever. Right. I guess like, do you know like how the monetization team was kind of thinking about it? Like uh, between that balance, because I in our room, we always talk about like, there's the kind of two ends of the spectrum. It's like customer acquisition model is like, okay, everything's free. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like, you can get a lot more usage and stuff on that end especially if it's a truly valuable product. It's like, wow, you're giving away that product for free. And then there's on the other end, it's like the pricing model. It's like, okay, how do you 
balance that. Like, obviously, you want to have it like somewhere in the sweet spot where it's like best of both worlds. People love it, but people also pay for it. And then there's kind of like more user hungry, like early stage startup where it's like, it's mostly free. Uh, and then we only monetize these couple advanced features. So was there any other thoughts around like how you thought about that from the monetization team? I think it was always a kind of like healthy battle between, yeah. <laughs> between us. We were gathering together and we always been like taking what kind of experiments we are going to launch and what is the solution we're going to launch. And there was also kind of like healthy discussion between like designers and product managers to understand mm -hmm. uh, where is this balance because i truly believe that it sometimes was complicated to find it just because for sure like we want to drive both like activation and monetization yep. but i guess like discussion was our main approach here and also like numbers because like when we run the experiment and we see the data we could see what is happening so yeah i guess that was the main two approaches we've been using. Okay. And what are some of the other uh, principles of onboarding? I would say it's about like not, not providing user with starting from scratch, just because they could be definitely like lost and absolutely forget about like what they want to do in your product and uh, what was their goal and et cetera, et cetera. So if you have any kind of like tools to help them to start, and uh, it's definitely better to ask about this call. And after that, like understand what kind of tools, what kind of features, what kind of templates do you have to fit this goal and uh, provide the user with all this stuff in a perfect way. Another one is keeping this balance between like giving the value and ask for an effort. Just as an example, when you're asking user to provide any information for about themselves, such as like, where did you know about Mirror? Like, what's your role? What's your goal? And et cetera, et cetera. It's super important to provide the value after. And another thing that was interesting insight for me, if we tell users why we need this information, we've been adding several more questions to this page. And there were no drops in conversion at all. Just because we added like, we will personalize your experience based on that. So mm -hmm. please answer these questions. Yeah, I think that that's it. And another one is a kind of contradictive for me, but sometimes it really works. You should uh, provide not skippable <laughs> onboarding sometimes just because I think it's kind of like pattern that every time you see the pop-up it's just mm -hmm. about our like behavior every time you see it you just want to close it and, and never see it again but sometimes that could be the most like useful pop-up in order to mm -hmm. onboard here so sometimes yeah sure you shouldn't provide this capable experience for the user and last but not least, never forget about customer onboarding. Just because like when I was working with a couple of my clients on the consulting and we really wanted to uh, decrease the churn they have on their subscription, one of the best things that worked was customer onboarding. So we were thinking about like providing better cancellation flow, optimizing that, and et cetera, et cetera. But instead of that, we decided to focus on the value that we provide to the users. So customer onboarding worked much better than we expected. What are some of those things where you feel like it was a very big difference between like, this is customer onboarding, this is user onboarding? Obviously, like there's, they, they became a customer. But what are some of the yeah. biggest differences between the two in your mind? I think that the main difference is that you should... It's actually 
almost the same. But on the other hand, I think that when it's customer onboarding, you should be super clear about like what value you're starting paying for. Just because they just started paying and uh, I guess that the majority of people who are like, they're checking a product for the first months and uh, they could cancel in case they're not getting the value. So the main point of the customer onboarding is to be sure that the user like get this basic experience. And after that, like uh, provide more information about like, what are you paying for? And like, what value you getting for like subscribing to our product? And what maybe other like kind of features and perks you also like having, such as like, right. again, not only about features, but also like support, for example. Okay. Yeah. So just making it more sticky, I guess, in a way to yeah. like, yeah, provide more value right away. I love that. And what are some of the examples of like things where it's like, it's a non-skippable moment and you feel like, you know, that's where it should be. Like, generally speaking, where do those like non-skippable moments make the most sense for companies to have in their onboarding? I guess that the first thing that came to my mind, it's about like when the user is not tech savvy and he's he has never used any kind of that tools before. Yeah. And uh, the user is like just, I don't know, chosen specific use case or no, doesn't yeah. matter. When you show him this pop-up, what is the way you want to like learn more about our product? That's the time when they just have to choose. I guess just because <laughs> from my experience, these type of users, they usually like need a lot of time in order to learn your product by themselves. So it's better to provide them with any kind of help, but also like in case they do not want to learn it right now, you could also like show them a learn center just to be sure, like 100%, and I don't know, like 1000% sure that they know how to educate themselves after the first session stuff that they've seen. Okay. Yeah, no, I've definitely seen these uh, like non-skippable moments like work really well too. Like the very beginning of the experience where, yeah, you're asking them like, hey, like what's your goal? You know, maybe even that second question you asked, like what is like... How do you learn best? <laughs> Let's help you on this part. Like, have you done this before? What are you trying to accomplish? And then, boom, they're like, if they said, uh, my goal is to create a product roadmap, boom. I mean, like the product roadmap template or something like that. Just getting them to value much faster on that end. Is there anything else on the onboarding front that you wanted to discuss? I guess that that was the majority of stuff that I want to share about onboarding. I think that maybe another thing that I also want to share is more about how I've been working on onboarding also with some of my consultant clients. I was trying to work on some stuff and to see like what was working for me and what was working for other companies in absolutely different spheres. And I've seen that the principles that I created are almost the same for like for any company, no matter if it's like, if it's, B2C or a combination of B2B and B2C. I think it's, again, like implementing these key ingredients of the onboarding is something that works for everybody. So yeah, I just <laughs> sum up all the principles that I had before. Awesome. But for onboarding, I guess that's, that was the main stuff. Awesome. And I guess as we wrap up too, is there any other like last thoughts or perspectives you would recommend companies to consider when it comes to really creating a, a powerful onboarding experience, whether it's a mistake to avoid or like, you know, if you're just to focus on one thing, like it would be this. Um, what do you kind of like last piece of feedback would you give someone who's listening? 
Yeah, uh, great question. I guess that will be about trying to understand your user as much as you can and trying to feel them, feel the sympathy to users and also like try to be the user for your product in a perfect way and see how it works. Like, I think that's, again, like when I joined Mira and when I've seen the first uh, usability tests on onboarding that we run, I was ready to cry sometimes just because <laughs> of, <laughs> yeah, uh, because that's not because it was bad. It's just because me feeling the sympathy after like a lot of these interviews that was absolutely okay for me. But every like problem user facing, I was like, Oh no, like we haven't thought about that. Why? That was so obvious. So yeah, I think that's investing to user research, like being a user, like feel this empathy is the main stop here. Totally. I double take on that just because it is it's <laughs> one of those like simple things. It's like, I think for every company, it's like, they just want to have like the quick tactic. It's like, oh, okay, let me do the non-skippables sometimes no. in this journey or like, <laughs> Okay, let me just put more like CTAs for people to upgrade, make that easier. And it's like, yeah, you could do that and you could see incremental improvement, but like you're still paying the like user research tax either way by like, you know, this didn't work. And like, why didn't it work? Well, you just didn't understand the users. And I think that other part too, you mentioned about building empathy with the user that can be done in so many different ways like whether it's you signing up for the product seeing you know how do i experience this myself where do i get stuck where do i get frustrated that can work i know for a lot of people listening to they have like very complicated like b2b products where it's like i'm not the user of this <laughs> i can relate to them but i'm like i'm not actually using this for this purpose other than testing so what are some other like quick ways that you have identified where it's helped either you or your team just build more empathy around the user, get to understand them better? You mentioned like those user research, what was it, the tests or usability tests? Sorry. Um, but uh, yeah, any just... other ways you recommend to build that empathy with the user? I think it's not only about you. It's definitely a lot about the team that you're working with. Like I was trying to like trigger all my developers and also like every person in my team mm -hmm. to join usability tests or user interviews, try to feel the sympathy and also like try to write down these problems that users facing. And after that, we started this discussion with the whole development team try to understand like what are the main problems you want to dive deeper i think that's when they like when they creating the solution that is something that also helps them to understand fully this holistic journey of the onboarding they've been working on and uh, they could also like recommend a lot of great stuff on the goal how we could improve the current solution how we could solve the user problem better just because they've seen these users they understood that like it's not just <laughs> they're creating not solution for some people like on that side, but that's real people they're working for. And when they see like when something is working great, they're so happy. And when they see that there is a problem, they could also suggest some stuff. So I think that you definitely, should, not only like product managers and designers should dive deeper into that. And even if you have a research team, I really think that like you shouldn't, ask them to run this kind of research, you definitely should do it by yourself. And also like trigger the team to join it yeah, because they will be excited about that and that will provide a lot of value. And another one is like, 
in case you still have B2B products or if it's not something that you're using, just try to at least like run this usability test and still mm-hmm. register in that just because like when you do it, you'll find a lot of insights, I promise. Awesome. Love those recommendations. And where can people find out more about you and what you're up to? I think that it's both like LinkedIn or a couple of days ago, I started, I started my Twitter account. So I could also share it with you. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Becky. Yeah, thank you. That was a great talk. And I uh, was so happy to share my experience here. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Product-Led Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a colleague or friends you know who might benefit. We are always looking at which episodes get the most listens so we know which content to create more of. So if you want more of this particular type of content or style of episode, please share it out. And in return, here's your selfish reason to do this. Uh, We will definitely create more content just like this episode. (laughs) And if that's not your style, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell us your favorite part about this podcast. I personally read every single one of these reviews and it gives me more ideas on what content we should do more of. Happy growing.